Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best, healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. And welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast. Appreciate everybody listening and appreciate everybody tuning in. I am one half of your humble and gracious host and clinician here for your listening and viewing pleasures, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And you guys know by now, because it's episode 28, that I'm never here by myself. All right. Always out here promoting knowledge with my partner in crime. Last name ever. First name greatest. Like a sprained ankle boy. He's nothing to play with. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, good brother? What's going on, bro? How you feeling, man? How's your week going? It's going pretty good, man. It's going pretty good. You know, we're halfway through the week, so uh, it's it's moving right along. How are you over there, man? You know, busy as usual, but you know, we never gonna complain about work, man. You know, so as usual, you know, we want to thank everybody for taking time to. Listen, subscribe, um, please continue, share. If you have any um, ideas, you know, please send uh, uh, the questions to the email. And yeah, just we just continue to appreciate the support, man. Absolutely. Getting a lot of good feedback out there. So uh, we definitely appreciate everybody being there and appreciating their support. Um, we're also going to continue, even though we're towards the end of the month, it is still September. So we're still recognizing suicide, uh, suicide prevention month. Um, we're going to continue to observe it and pay even more attention to uh, the prevention of suicide. Um, this coming weekend, uh, down at the Art Museum, we are going to be participating in the Out of the Darkness Suicide Prevention Walk at the Philadelphia Art Museum, October 3rd. Um, begins at nine o'clock. Registration starts at seven. I'll probably be there, you know, eight o'clock, eight-ish around that, kind of getting ready. Um, but yeah, come and join us. You know, we'll be out there, team knockout suicide. All right. So absolutely still continuing to bring awareness to, to suicide. So I'll be there. Dr. J will be there. The family and friends will be there, you know, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is how we're going to do it. So come on out as we continue to bring awareness to this serious issue. Definitely. I'm um, looking forward to it. Um, you know, we're going to keep, you know, bringing awareness, trying to reduce the stigma with, you know, if you see Dr. Kyle out there, you can photograph. You know, he's a he's a TikTok star now. So, all day. You know. All all day. We got you. You know, we're gonna we gonna <laughs> Dr. J and I are gonna make you famous. This is, how, this is what we do. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's football season, Jay. And um, you know, we're in you know, week three just concluded. And so uh you know, an interesting story came across, you know, related to suicide prevention in that uh, defensive tackle Solomon Thomas, uh, who plays for the Las Vegas, Raider, uh, Las Vegas Raiders, 
He recently partnered with the city of Las Vegas to talk to teenagers about mental health um, as part of the city's commitment to supporting mental wellness. So in addition to talking to the kids about his own struggles with uh, with mental health issues, um, he also shared a story uh, very personal uh, to him in that um, his sister passed away uh, due to suicide in 2018. And due to this experiment, um, this experience, he actually started a foundation called the Defensive Line. And so um, after losing his sister, uh, he created this foundation for the reason that it supports schools. It talks about the same thing that you just mentioned as far as um, reducing stigma um, about suicide and about mental health issues. And, um, you know, he's focused a lot of advocacy. He's partnered with, I believe it's uh, Lady Gaga's uh, mental health organization um, about some different endeavors and just trying to get um, education and information out about uh, suicide and, and mental health. So, um, Jay, what, what, what was your take and your thoughts about uh, reading this article? Um, I mean, first, you know, we got to give him credit um, because, again, you know, it sounds like a great cause, mission statement um, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and listen, whether he's putting his own money towards it or whether he's just using his platform as a professional football player to kind of shine a light on this issue, I think credit right because the personal experience he was talking about and kind of talked about some of those things in the article but when i was reading it what came kind of what kept kind of spinning around in my mind as i was reading this was remember the little wayne article we did a while back right when mm -hmm. he was talking about his suicide attempt um and the common themes i'm kind of seeing again you know is social support in adolescence right um experiencing suicidal ideation in Little Wayne's case, or in this case, losing a sibling and then experiencing, you know, um, some mental health challenges related to that, right? Um, again, and then and then if we talk about, if we look at the suicide rate for like adolescent and teenage boys right now, um, you know, it's been going up in the last couple of years, concerning issue, especially when we talk about like boys of color, right? Um, but to get to my point, I mean, social support. This is something that we throw around like it's a game almost, and like a joke, right? I'll get some social support, this, that, you know. Um, but it's the common theme in in all, in all in everybody's story, right? I had no one to talk to, right? Um, so using therapy as a support—that's one of the reasons why we have to down and lose the stigma, right? Um, because we have to understand that it's not a, a reflection, like a negative, it doesn't reflect negatively on parents, you know, for a child to be in therapy um, and for your child to need to use therapy as an additional support, right? Um, because we have to expand this, right? If In the article, he was talking about he had no one to talk to. So we got to look at his social circle, right? Which is not unlike a lot of kids. Um, and this is... Again, we talk about kids who have parents in the military. They're going to have some, some of them might have some of the same challenges if they're moving around frequently, right? The same with some of our resource children moving around frequently, changing schools frequently. Um, you know, these are situations that's going to bring a lot of change for kids. And a lot of times they need support, right? Um, I think the, the common thing that we're starting to see, um, no one to talk to, no one to talk to. So 
What did you think? Um, something that that struck a chord for me is is right along the lines of what you mentioned with the social support. Um, but what really what stood out for me was his, you know, who him being so honest and being so open about the relationship with his sister. Um, he mentioned really how close they were. And like we talked, we talk about how important social support is. And a part of his social support was his sister. You know, he mentioned that um, and he's he's talked about it also, like in various outlets, like in ESPN and, and a few other different um, media outlets. But he he talked about um, how how close he and his sister were of, you know, how they would right, right, basketball right, together. Right. They did all, a lot of different things, movies, and they just had a really close relationship. And, you know, he mentioned that she started to struggle with uh, her mental health when she was a teenager. He, you know, he mentioned that, you know, I think she had told the family that she was experiencing, you know, depression symptoms when she was about 15 or 16. Um, she unfortunately was sexually assaulted when she was in college. And so, you know, she was dealing with PTSD and some of those other different symptoms. And, you know, he mentioned that he saw her struggling and, you know, tried to be supportive. And, you know, he, he didn't realize how much she was struggling. You know, he didn't understand um, because, you know, a lot of times, like we've talked about in previous episodes, a lot of people just kind of continue to go through the motions, right? They continue to go day in and day out and you never know how much and what someone is going through. You know, maybe sometimes don't know, you know, the, the extent of it. And so, um, what really stood out was his strength, the way that he was able to channel, you know, his loss into act advocacy, because, you know, and I know that, you know, suicide is very difficult, you know, especially for the members, the surviving members. Right. It's it's it's, it's a complicated loss um, for those that are left behind. And in addition to the trauma of what's usually a sudden and unexpected death of a family member or a close friend. You know, that person is also experiencing just a variety of, of emotions, right? They're experiencing anger. They're experiencing guilt a lot of times because they feel like, what could I have done better? What more could I have done? And, you know, what really stood out was that his strength. And I, and I you know, I don't know him personally, um, but he talked about, you know, just the process that he went through. And, you know, a lot of people, it takes years for them to recover from a sibling you know, from just a, a loss, but now you're compounding it with the type of loss, like you said, by suicide. And th the fact that he, he's been able to turn that loss into advocacy and say, hey, I want to bring this to the attention of others, you know, talking about stigma, talking about girls that have been sexually assaulted, like that, that just, it really spoke volumes to me for him to use his platform and use his, you know, his ability to, you know, to get the word out. And and so that, that just really just um, was just awe inspiring. All right. I can, I can dig it. Um, I agree with you, man, just to kind of piggyback on that. I give him a lot of credit because listen, he was talking about a lot of sensitive issues, right? Um, of course, we have him losing his sister, but he was also talking about like other mental health challenges he had. He was talking about experience and anxiety. Um, and then I think most importantly, like he was number one, he was talking about his issues struggling with weight loss. You right. know, um, as a professional athlete, um, I think that's a lot of 
be in this country with a lot of people struggle with. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, but which what, what resonated with me the most was when he started talking about the mental health challenges he had, like that were associated with him being a black man, uh, man, you know, and going to school in a predominantly white school in a predominantly white area. Right. Um, and he specifically was talking about, I felt like I wasn't valued enough. Right. Um, and for me, as the person who has gone to school in those type of environments, right? Um, I think that this is an issue that doesn't get enough uh, attention, especially when we talk about like the black experience for suburban kids, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you know, feeling like you're not valued, uh, there's no, there, there's, there's nobody like you. You know, people have to understand like that can lead to intense feelings of loneliness um, and isolation. And it just escalates, you know, or excuse me, exacerbates and intensifies like symptoms of depression. You know, um, we know suicidal ideation and we know that's that's, you know, one of the um, more prominent, you know, symptoms of depression. So I just think um, the fact that he kind of talked about that, I, for me, it resonated and I thought it was very important because there's a lot of children, you know, who go to school, live in suburban communities. And we've had this conversation on this platform before, right? The, the, the black suburban experience mm. does not get enough attention, right? Um, a lot of times we like to put black people in a box, like we, we only live and work in one area, right? And it's a black rural experience, it's a black suburban experience. Um, and these, these children are going through in that type of environment. Um, you know, I, I understand it firsthand. So I, I think the fact that he kind of, was talking about that and how it impacted him. That's kind of the other thing that stood out for me. Yeah, I, th I think and believe that's what makes his foundation unique, right? Um, and that's not to say that all the other foundations and all the other endeavors that we've talked about, you know, previously and even the, those that we're going to talk about in the future, um, any less. However, for that reason that you just mentioned, I feel like that's what makes his and you know this endeavor special for the reason that you know his foundation is reaching so many different areas right it's reaching um the area where he wants his foundation to be you know to talk about that that population because like you mentioned that population doesn't get discussed or there's not mm -hmm. enough attention that's put on there and then he talks about you know uh just mental wellness in people of color Right. He also talks about, again, normalizing it right across the, the, the spectrum is that he's normalizing all of these experiences. So he said, hey, you know what? It's OK to feel out of place, to feel that stress if you're, you know, one of the only African-Americans in a predominantly white neighborhood, predominantly white school. It's OK if you're experiencing anxiety related to weight issues. It's OK if you're experiencing, you know, all these other different things related to, you know, whether it be sexual assault of, you know, young girls of color. He's he's hitting, you know, so many different populations, so many different areas um, due to his experiences and also due to his sister's experience. So that's what I really appreciated that he's he's hitting the marker. You know, he's he's, you know, extending himself to a lot of different vulnerable, you know, populations, especially in youth. And so for them to be able to see that and for him to be able to partner with Las Vegas, um, I think it's powerful. You know, I think he's going to be able, he's doing a lot of good with this. Um, 
with this platform, but I just feel like it just speaks volumes in the fact that he's going there, right? He's, you know, he's going there and he's speaking himself. It's not like, yo, you know, he's he's doing, you know, some type of, you know, infomercial, some video or he's online. Like he's actually going there and he's going down to City Hall. He's going down and he's sitting there and he's, t- he's taking the time out, you know, during the season, no less. Right. He's taking the time out to do it himself. Right. So, like, I feel like the fact that he's just, you know, extending himself to so many different vulnerable populations is gold, man. It, it makes it, you know, that much more important. And he just normalizes that it's okay to not be okay in so many different areas. So um, this this is great, man. I love this. Yeah. So, yeah, you, definitely, know, you know, shout out to him. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, um, you know, he continues to do this work. It continues to grow. And like I said, he's, he's partnered with um, Lady Gaga's, um, her, her, um, mental health um endeavors and her her foundation and so hopefully um i think he's also a board member of the hope means nevada uh community which is helps to eliminate um teen suicide and other mental illness so he's getting himself involved man like he he's really in it um so like you said shout out to him and hopefully his foundation continues to grow and continues to you know again um, not only this month, but just as we go through, you know, in the coming days and months that we continue to provide awareness to, to these mental health issues and uh, suicide awareness. All right. So staying with current events. Jason, um, R. Kelly was recently convicted of federal racketeering and sex trafficking charges for his decades long scheme of trying to recruit women and underage girls for sex. All right. Um, so this came down about what uh, two days ago, and this has been an, an ongoing thing. I mean, I feel like you know this whole saga with with with, uh, with Kelly has been going on for the past. It's got to be like what twenty years or so, you know. Um, and it feels like yeah. you know now you know with this conviction, you know I'm just gonna come out and say it. Um, you know. For me, I believe getting this conviction along with because uh, I know he's still due to host another number of charges. But, you know, his conviction for me is it's a win. You know, it's a win for for every black woman and girl who has had to, you know, hide her pain or her or have her trauma minimized um, or who or even worse, who's been blamed for putting herself in the wrong situation. Right. Because for me, I believe there's a difference between thinking that, okay, someone's guilty or not guilty, right? So it's one thing to say, well, I don't believe that this individual did it. What I saw a big difference was, was a lot of victim blaming, right? I saw a lot of individuals or a lot of his supporters blaming the victims. And keep in mind, these are, these are teenage victims. And then blaming their parents for supposedly giving R. Kelly access to their daughters and sons. And like, when you do this when you're blaming the victims it's like this type of reaction sends a message to to vulnerable people and in our situation you know the vulnerable folks were young black girls right and you're sending that message to them when you're blaming them is that you know they don't count they don't matter right you're blaming them you know um and it just it just feels like you're telling that they have an ulterior motive and that they played a role in their abuse so, you know, for me, this conviction, you know, is a win for, for anyone that's had to, you know, be, you know, they had their trauma minimized or that's had to, you know, hide her pain. 
what, what was what's your take on on how this has evolved in, in the conviction? Well, I mean, it's it's one of these things where it's like I think he's been in jail since 2019, right? Yeah. But I guess it's it's, it's I mean, obviously it's it's outrageous, you know. Um, but like this has been an open seat for years. You know what I mean? Like, like they've been writing about it in the in the paper for years about R. Kelly hanging out at high schools and McDonald's in in, in in Chicago, right? The tape came out in the 1990s. You know, um, it was circulating like uh, any bootleg tape. I'm not saying that to make you know to make light of it. I'm saying that the public kind of came and then it just dissipated, right? And then R. Kelly kind of had he was still a to, he kind of had a resurgence in his career, right? He was still making mu- music, all those things. So, to me, it's kind of like obviously the whole thing is absurd. You know, you know what I mean. But it, it it almost seems like like this is happening in 2021. It's almost like, and I forgot about it. You understand what I'm saying? Because I think that is a reflection of, of how much people have swept this under the rug, right? right. Um, the talent he has. Um, the second thing I'll say is, I under, I'm with you in terms of the, the message that it sends to um, younger women. But what's, what I'm more concerned about is, okay, R. Kelly goes to trial, I think it's 2008, you know, his lawyer, families as money hungry, you know, um, paint the girls as promiscuous, irresponsible, all these other things. I'm concerned about the influence it has on like disclosures. And this is what causes victims, you know, to make statements and then take them back. Right. Um, this is what causes them to recant statements. Right. Because, you know, you, you have somebody who's in a powerful position. You finally either work up the, the courage to what happened to you and then you have a high-powered lawyer tearing you apart right when it comes to your mental health record disciplinary record at school everything um so that's kind of where you know um my concern lies not saying i'm i'm not concerned with the message it sends but it's one of the major factors and influences you know lack of disclosures from from people right quote unquote lay people or children or whoever because this powerful person is going to put all of their means most of the time financially and and sometimes just in terms of like networking and power and all of that to destroy me right um and that's what people what makes people say it's not worth it you know um so of course it's you know it's it's absurd i mean listen r kelly married Aaliyah in in 1994 when he was already 12 years older than her he was 27 she was 15 we all knew about it right and r kelly made music for decades after that so it's like um you know i'm glad they got we got you know we got the conviction or the conviction you know happened um but it just seems like Something that should have happened a long time ago. Oh, a long you know? time ago. Um, you know, and it, I want to highlight what what you mentioned, because um, in addition to, like you said, the the victims having to go through a traumatic court process, right? They have to go through the whole, like you said, they're having their all their business and everything looked into. Like you said, their school record, 
um, you know, their families, all, all these different things, right? To try to, you know, um, assassinate their character or make them look like they have ulterior motives, all these things. But in addition to the defense team, you also have the community, right? You have the community that's also, and then as, like you said, this came out in the nineties. So as the years have gone, social media or the internet has only grown increasingly larger. And so in addition to the defense team and that whole process that they, that someone has to go through now, they're also being looked at, like you said, and being labeled by their own people, right? People in their own community, judging them and saying all different types of things. And like you said, everybody has an opinion now, you know, when they're on their phone or they're on their laptop. And, and you know, it's really unfortunate because a lot of these girls, um, these young girls were, were, you know, the victim of what they call um, adultification bias, right? In which a lot of black children, you know, are believed to be older than they are. And like you said, you knew and I know that this guy was, you know, was in the McDonald's, was in the high schools, all these different things. But, you know, it's unfortunate that unfortunately, when you have an individual, especially in this case, you have black girls that are believed to look older than they are or whatever the situation is, you know, they're in particularly they're sexualized. Right. And then, you know, I don't care how old anyone looks. A minor is a minor. Right. A teenager is, is a teenager. And, you know, she can look however old she wants to, you know, and I know that, you know, the physiological aspect of it, that that young person's brain is still developing. Right. And so but however, they get labeled due to this whole situation and process, they have to go through as fast as being grown, as being all these other different things. Right. So as opposed to like we just talked about how important social support is. So if you have someone that's going through this, you would hope and think that like you would have the community behind them. But a lot of times you didn't. Right. So in addition to his camp, you have our own community going through. And, and it's just it's really disheartening. That can that could be another reason why, like you said, you can have a victim who says, you know, what, I'm not even going to try to fight this. I'm not even going to go through with this because it's not worth it. I'm being torn apart on the streets. I'm being called names. I'm being, you know, harassed abused by people that look just like me and they're calling me names and all different things so you know and even you know with, with that you know when they labeled unfortunately these girls and they were like oh they're money hungry and all these other different things you know i always said like well, well let's let's run with that theory right say that is indeed the case right so if you have someone that's sitting here that's taking advantage of young people that are money hungry, quote unquote, right, are trying to look for an opportunity to blow up to be a star. And it turns out like this, it's a situation where if, if that was indeed the case, why are you upset at the victim or at the person that's being taken advantage of? Right. You should be upset. Right. I would think you right. would direct your attention or the issues with the person that's capitalizing on, right? On the predator, on the person that's, that's you know, allowing this, that's going along with it. So as opposed to like dehumanizing them, you would provide empathy. But it's just, you know, that whole theory that way, like you said, um, is just was always just, you know, baffling to me. I, I think, and again, this, this is another conversation. So I'm not trying to like, we, we, we talked about the conviction, so this is kind of like another conversation because it's related, but I don't want to act like it's part of the last one, right? So I think what people kind of suffer from is the same thing we kind of talked about with Bill Cosby, right? I think a lot of people experience cognitive dissonance because 
they're connected to the art. You know what I mean? Um, so again, I don't know. Like I'm honestly, like I don't know the answer. Like I'm kind of conflicted as to how do you deal with these people after they've been convicted of this type of offense, right? Um, how should people feel? Should people still play his music? Should people still watch Bill Cosby shows? Does it take away from the value of the art? Um, what's, what is the effect of, 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 of the behavior on, on that, right? Um, and the reason why I say that is because it can get complicated, right? It can be a slippery slope, right? Because you don't necessarily know what your accountant, your banker, your mechanic, you know, but if you are aware of certain things, um, can you separate what somebody has done, you know, from something like a piece of art or a song or, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted, right? Um, the only reason why I say that is because I've literally been somewhere and had like an R. Kelly song come on and then it's like, instinctually I, I start moving to it and then I feel guilty. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Um, so I'm just wondering if you've had experiences like that, then how do you feel about it? Oh, totally. Um, I, I've, this is how I've, I've tried to make sense of it for me or, or compartmentalize or or whatever. So I understand a lot of it for yeah. people has been like the, um, like, what do they call it? The, the halo bias, right? Where it kind of makes it hard for you to believe anything or or about someone something anything negative about someone who kind of has had like a positive association like hence bill cosby hence you know even r kelly with his music and so like when it's a well-known face in the community right it's it's like in his case who makes great music i can see how people would be like well i, I would you know never you know he, he would never do these horrendous things you know, despite whatever the evidence is. And, you know, right. like for me, I always sit here and say, you know, because then it was a theory of the, well, they're, the criminal system is just trying to railroad another another black man, right? Another person's trying to go through that system. And I, I never want to see um, any, any black individual, you know, go through, you know, the judicial system. However, if, again, if we're seeing the evidence, you know, that's, that's kind of, like you said, the, the, the tapes have been out for years, right? And then you add the stories and all this other different. I mean, what evidence? Yeah, it's just like, and you know, so for me, it's I look at it like you have, you know, a prominent man, whether it be Bill Cosby, we're talking about Art Kelly, who did great things at one point in time, who did a horrendous act and is now being punished appropriately. Right. So it's like you I separate them where it's a sense where you I, I'm understanding and, and acknowledge, you know, what they did. You know, he made great music, right. right? He was, was I'm sure he did great things for the city of Chicago. I'm sure he employed a lot of people, so on and so forth. So I'm sure he did good things. However, as prominent as he is, he did a horrendous act, right? He did a terrible act, right. he did an illegal act. Now he's receiving the appropriate punishment. Now, is it overdue? Yeah, it sounds like it's it's been long overdue. However, when you do sure. something wrong, such as this, you are to be punished. There are consequences. So that's always kind of been my thing. Like, I don't I try not to feel too bad. Like if the song comes on and, you know, like you said, sometimes the natural or innate reactions are that, you know, you start bobbing your head or anything. And it's understanding like, all right, like the same thing as the Cosby show comes on. It doesn't mean I'm going to turn it off, you know, but it's I also sure. understand that, like, you know what? 
he did great for television, right? We wouldn't have a lot of TV shows that would be on if it weren't for, you know, for Cosby. But I also understand, yeah, he did a horrendous right. thing and now he's being punished. So that's that's what's been kind of helpful for me and just kind of compartmentalizing it. Now, as far as like going forward, like, yeah, I'm not I personally don't go out and look for R. Kelly's music. Like, I don't I'm not going out. I'm not going to stream or right. anything else. Right. So I'm not not doing it. But if I'm somewhere and the song comes on or the radio comes on because there are still some stations that plays music, you know, I'm it, if it's on, it's on. Right. I'm yeah. not gonna call it. I'm not gonna call the radio. Not, yeah, you know, I'm not calling the radio station to be like, ah, how could you? It's like, you know, it is what it right. is. However, I'm also recognizing, like, yo, that he did a horrendous thing, and and he's being punished for it. So that I that's you know, you, man. you know, I just wanted to know, you know, what the yeah, it's 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 what something your thoughts man. was because it's like again, it's a. Yeah, it's a conversation that comes up, you know. But it's a oh, good, yeah. you know, good combo though. Yeah, totally. So um, you know, we'll see. Um, as again, like you said, um, even though he was convicted for um for these charges, he still has, I believe, some other charges, I think in Chicago, um, that he has to go up against or has to sit for for trial. So we'll continue to monitor this closely. Um, so we'll see, you know. All right. So speaking of jail. All right. So recently in New York, uh, the governor signed legislation that will end long term solitary confinement in prisons and jails after a years long battle for reform um, for, for reform in that state. All right. So uh, the halt um, solidary confinement act most notably puts a 15-day consecutive limit on how long someone can be kept in solitary confinement, all right, or nearly all-day isolation. So what this legislation does, it um, it also reduces the number of infractions that can lead to a person being placed in solitary confinement. Um, and it bars the use of any solitary confinement for multiple vulnerable populations. So these populations include uh, pregnant women, uh, people with disabilities, individuals with serious mental illness, and people under the age of 22 or over 54. All right. So advocates of this law, just to kind of give some additional information, have also been critical um, of the solitary confinement um, legislation prior to this new legislation coming into play uh, for the reason of its uh, racial inequalities. So um, an article, New York Times uh, posted or reported that black and Latino people make up nearly 70% of New York's prison population, but represent more than 80% of those in solitary confinement. Also, um, the American Psychological Association reported that people with impaired mental health are still disproportionately represented in solitary confinement. All right. So, um, Jay, what is your take on this, this new legislation? I mean, listen, I don't think it goes far enough to be honest with you, right? Um, I, and this is why I say, anytime you see anything that, that talks about the prison system, right? They're talking about rehabilitation, right? Mm-hmm. And then anytime we peel back the layers, they're doing everything but rehabilitation, right? It's about, you know, confinement and securing the prisoners, Right. So what I'm what I what I'm saying is that 
they need to be honest because they're speaking one thing, they're saying one thing out of their mouth and then they're doing another. So this is a, a, a step, but even if you look at the statement, we found a plan that would provide a safe and humane environment, right? Now, that would imply that before it wasn't safe and it wasn't humane, right? So now that's that the Governor Cuomo statement if it wasn't if that's not his. One is his and one is from like I think the the CO uh, but if we look at the conditions, right? No natural light, no windows, some 23 to 23 hours in, you know, eat, sleep, use the bathroom in there, solid door. So what do you expect? Right? Um, again, I think we, we find ourselves in a difficult situation because they're saying one thing, you know, in terms of rehabilitation, but it, the jail is being built to secure people, you know, not to necessarily rehabilitate them. Um, because to think about it, the improvements they talked about, you get internee representation at infraction hearings, right? Inmates been talking about that for decades about getting roles for infractions that they never committed right? right and having no recourse so attorney represent having representation just seems like it's fair socialization person <laughs> that's just treating somebody like other than an animal like a human being right a minimum of of uh 10 hours out per day right again like we're talking about like basic things right um so again, I, I you know I don't get it. I mean, admittedly, you know my eyes weren't necessarily on this issue, um, but they are now. But it's crazy, you know. It's definitely, it's, it's definitely crazy. Some of the conditions that they have some of these prisoners in. And the last thing I'm going to say is, in terms of doing a little bit more research, there are people who've been in solitary confinement for years, up to decades. Yeah, you know. Um, Imagine that decades. I don't know. What did you think? I find it hard for them to even use the word humane with solitary confinement. Like, I feel like that's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> because there's right. nothing just like as you described it, there's nothing humane about being put in solitary confinement, right? Being in a small six by nine space, like you said, no windows, all those other different things for various times, right? Now, they're saying no one can be in as long as more than 15 days okay more than 15 days 15 days that's a that like you said we've already reported or we we've already seen that people have been in there for years but even 15 days like even a day right so i'm gonna i'm gonna run down what the psychological effects of solitary confinement are all right you ready all right anxiety and stress depression hopelessness anger irritability hostility Panic attacks worsen, pre-existing mental health issues, hypersensitivity to sounds and smells, problems with attention and concentration and memory, hallucinations that affect all senses, paranoia, poor impulse control, social withdrawal, outbursts of violence, uh, psychosis, fear, death and self-harm and suicide. So. I don't know about any of those effects that someone's going to experience is is home, humane, right? Because I think that's the issue, because isolation is what it is. It's, it's a treatment like it's it's punitive. 
right? Anytime you're putting someone in isolation for an extended period of time, it's meant to be punitive. It's meant to be destructive, right? Like you said, it defeats any purpose of rehabilitation. That's not rehabilitation when you're going to put someone in isolation for just an unprecedented amount of time. It's torture, right? I mean, this is like harkens back to like medieval times when you're talking about putting someone just away and we'll worry about them later. Like there's really no there's no other justification for this type of treatment outside of psychological warfare, because, you know, when people when you place someone in isolation or you put them in a small space. Right. You know, you're you're trying to break them psychologically. Right. You're trying to oh, break yeah. them. They, they used to do it back in slavery. Right. They used to do it. They used to put them in the hot box. They used to put the, you know, runaways or they will put people they felt like were defiant. They put them naked in a box and it's like, yo, we're going to break their spirit. Right. So this is it sounds like something that they would do at Guantanamo Bay. Correct. Right. The, exactly. We, we've seen it. So that's that's, you know, when, when I when I hear humane and I hear solitary confinement, they don't they don't match with each other. Right. And 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 unfortunately, um, you know, you had the CEOs. They also released a, um, they also released a statement of their viewpoint. And because not everybody's happy with this. Um, what did they say? They said um, the correctional officers and unions maintain that solitary confinement is a necessary tool to punish troublesome prisoners. And uh, this new legislation puts officers at risk, you know. So they said there's nothing humane about subjecting our brave men and women to brutal assaults that send them to the hospital every week. Right. So, well, so next, of right? course, of course, we 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 can expect the usual scare tactic to be right. Um, but like and again, I'm not saying it's the same exact job, but the same way the day you walked into a behavioral health unit, right? You knew the, the, the statistics on being assaulted on the unit, right? Mm-hmm. And you and me took the job, correct? Correct. And we didn't take the job in the day after to complain about the risks that come with the job, right? So that's, that's absurd to me. Second, um, you know, to the people that say it's not punishment, right? And we need to punish, punish more, right? I think it's a fundamental understanding or misunderstanding that that um, these people will be getting out one day. They'll be getting out one day. They'll be coming back to this world to join us, right? To society to join us. Let me say that because it's still in the world. How do you expect? Now, we, we already talked about the conditions that we're, we have them under, right? So how do we expect them to reintegrate into society? Easily. They won't. Right. Um, so to people that think we should overpunish, overpunish, that is the whole goal of rehabilitation. Right. Is so that reentry is possible. So you, you can't have reentry into society without rehabilitation. And I think people. Of course, they want to look at things that the person committed and say, all right, throw them in a the hole and it's not our responsibility. However, they expect for the person when they finish to read back into re-enter back into society, not reoffend and be a productive member of society without any mental health <laughs> uh, support, without um, education, without all of these things that we know benefit individuals when they're incarcerated. So it's just crazy. Um, psychologists 
His name is Craig Haney, um, and he does some good work in terms of solitary confinement. Looking at like Pelican Bay, which is a big prison in Cali, um, and he was talking about the prisoners in solitary confinement reported two times as many uh, trauma and stress symptoms compared to prisoners in general population. Right? They had the highest rates of suicidal ideate uh, of suicide um, and the highest rates of depression and, and feelings of hopelessness. Right? Um, the evidence is there. Right. The evidence is there. Um, so again, you know, it's one of these things, um, that is, that's why prisoners are a vulnerable population because, you know, there's not a lot of professionals, you know, that are willing to up and advocate for them. Um, but it's an issue that deserves more um, attention. Absolutely. And, and, and the last thing I'll, I'll mention is that what also I've, I've looked through is that through the research is that it's ineffective. Okay, so and and I get, you know, the I understand that yeah, you're gonna in some of these prisons, you're gonna have individuals that are a continuous threat, right? They're they're in there, they're they're hurting people, staff, you know, staff, they're hurting other prisoners, they're, they're they're tearing the place up. Um, and I also understand that you on some situations you have, you know, solitary confinement as a means of you know, uh, protective custody for maybe people that aren't suitable or that can't be in the general population. I get all those things. But when you have a situation where you're trying to use it as punishment or something to try to correct some behavior, it's not effective because just some of the things that you just mentioned, it often the people that are put in solitary confinement, like you said, come out more aggressive because you're not rehabilitating them. Right. They come out, you know, with more mental health issues, more unstable. So whatever behavior or whatever the outcome that, you know, you're you're trying to, you know, accomplish it often, especially due with the research, is, is that there are more behavioral changes, right? The person becomes more violent, becomes more unpredictable, you know, through right. to just being placed and just thrown away. And then also, it's not even cost effective. You know, it, they, it, it, solitary confinement, those units, it costs more than other types of prison, other different areas in the prison, like for housing and like construction and just operation. So it costs even more for you to even utilize these services. So... It just sure. seems to me like it's an old antiquated, like you said, it's more a, a situation where unfortunately we've gotten, society has gotten in the habit of dehumanizing people that are in prison or in jail anyway. Like you said, they got, they did the, they did the deed, they did the crime, throw them away, forget about them. They're less than human. And that's not the case. But unfortunately, this is how this legislation has been able to go forward and continue through um, because we're looking at them as less than human. So, uh, I mean, this is a step in the right direction. Like you said, a lot more needs to be done. Um, there are a lot more initiatives that I feel like if, like, again, because they are such a marginalized population that more advocacy, more individuals, because like you said, the research is there, needs to be brought to the forefront so we can have some different um, interventions outside of, um, you know, this episode. But um you know, uh, it's a step in the right direction, but a, a lot more work needs to be done. So, you know, well, yeah, uh, definitely, because one one thing that people have to remember is that, you know, we may use we use the word prisoners and we give them numbers and all these things, but these are human beings, fathers, friends, brothers that are coming home home to family, right? And once they have served their time, you know. Um, 
they've served their time, right? They 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 deserve another chance. So um, we can't we can't treat them, you know, like they're a pair of shoes just because they committed a crime. You know, like they have no rights. We can't do that. So got to get better. Absolutely. All right, Jay. I'm finishing up on a on a good, positive, information, informative note. All right. You ever have some nights where you have some difficulty getting sleep or falling asleep? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That was me last night, man. Me too, bro. And you know what? It's as much as we would like to get to sleep. It's not for a lack of trying, right? But unfortunately, you know, we we live very you know, stressful and uh, challenging, busy lives, whether it's stress from work, whether it's stress from family, stress from other finances, all these other different things, right? It's like when we finally do get a chance to, you know, lay down, it's hard for that, you know, for us to shut our brains off, right? You, our, our minds are just wearing too fast for us to be able to drift off. So, you know, a lot of us, even though we want to get to bed earlier, we want to, you know, it's just that our bodies and our minds just fight back and, you know, against any of our good intentions. However, you have come across something that will, you know, may just do the job of getting us some better sleep. All right. First, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. J brought to our attention the box breathing that the Marines use. So, you know, our anxiety, is reduced, <laughs> right? Our breathing is more regulated. It's healthier. Now, Dr. J is going to be sharing with us a new an effective method of helping us get some better sleep. Lead us off, Jay. What you what you got? So, so again, you know, today we're just gonna go over the four four seven eight method. Um, again, it's a it's just another diaphragmatic breathing technique, similar to square breathing or box breathing. Um, definitely can be used, you know, to calm yourself, center yourself. Um, if you're experiencing anxiety. Um, I read this article. I had never really seen it used to put people to sleep, um, but I do understand how it can be can be used that way. Very simply, you know how the technique is done. You just breathe in your nose for four seconds. You hold for seven seconds, and you breathe out for eight seconds. Wow, gotta make the sound right, and then you then you um, repeat it four times, right? Um, and if you do that. Um, what you're doing is you're engaging your relaxation response, you know, allows you to feel, have a feeling of relief, you know, in terms of um, the terms of the physiology, uh, you're engaging your relaxation response is the opposite of the stress response, lower blood pressure, lowers your heart rate, digestion rate goes down, right? And it gives you an overall feeling of calm and relief. Um, so, you know, it's important that we kind of know um, that we do have control you know, over our body in terms of engaging the relaxation response um, to help us to relax now, right? Especially when we need to sleep. Um, and that, why is that important? Because we know um, that when we have deficits in sleep, um, it can cause issues, problems with our overall health, psychological, mental health. Um, you know, we know that uh, not having sleep is, is more prominent symptoms of depression. Um, when we're anxious, we could our, our sleep can be impacted. So, you know, it's definitely important. Yeah, I'm totally on board with this, man. Um, you know, not just that, you know, of course, it's going to help us get to sleep, which I'm all the way for. Um, but, 
you know, like you were saying that we can do it at any different time. So, you know, I like the fact that there's such a variation in different forms of, of diaphragmatic breathing. Um, like you said, whether it be the box breathing or the, you know, the four, seven, eight method you just explained. Um, but particularly as far as it helping with sleep, man, you know, like I, I never knew how important sleep was until, um, probably like our third year in our doctoral program, man. And, um, you know, I had opportunity. I went to the, um, I did a practicum out there at the, uh, Lebanon VA. And, um, I learned about like CBTI, um, or CBT for insomnia and just doing the research, you know, my, my, um, my supervisors had me do, um, reading about like insomnia, reading about like benefits of sleep and sleep deprivation, man, like, listen, like it really like hit home. And like you said, like not having sleep, you know, you, you're totally off, right? Like you are totally off. You go two or three days without like sufficient, like quality sleep. Like you're, you're totally, you're not able to function. You know, you're just kind of like a zombie kind of going through the motions. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's strange because even it's, you know, in this article and just kind of do previous research like it's similar you know sleep deprivation to an extent has the same effect as being drunk right it can also like you mentioned right. has the psychological effect of you know experiencing paranoia hallucinations right all these other different things if you're not getting sufficient sleep and you know it can be really difficult to kind of turn that faucet off when you're trying to get some sleep like after a stressful day so um this yeah. this method is right up my alley and and hopefully you know it'll be helpful for for other people who you know have difficulty kind of you know cooling down and getting some sleep um and just kind of reducing your stress just overall you know if you're able to reduce your stress um and kind of cool and calm your body then you know you'll be able to to gain some more sleep at least be at a more comfortable state so um I'm with it man I'm I'm happy you yeah. brought this to the forefront um I'm going to be on this today tonight yeah, I mean, I urge everybody to just try it um, tonight, you know, before you kind of take it down or, um, you know, try it when you're at work at your desk, um, you know, one or two times. You don't want to put yourself to sleep at your desk. But, um, you know, seriously, it can bring you, you know, a feeling of calm, you know, help you to kind of ground yourself in the moment, refocus. Um, and these are all things that we can kind of put in our lack of a better term. And, um, you know, uh, we have more than a few opportunities to use all of these techniques during these times, right? There's a lot of worry. Uh, I think that's a good, you know, note to end on tonight. Um, and, you know, I just, I would just urge everybody to, to just try it out. Uh, four, seven, eight method. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, you know, takes practice. So um, the more you practice, the better at it you'll become, the more easier it'll become, more, um, you know, effective it'll be. And it's free, right? You can't beat that. Anything that's going to be helpful for you at the uh, sure. price of free. However, for the new low, low, low price of $29.99, if you call now and, and, and email us, Dr. J will actually call you and go over and lead you through the 478 method. All right. So if that's something that you're interested yeah. in, we got that going now. So call now. OK, call now. Email us. And Dr. How much did you say that was? You said $129.99? $129.99. But if you call right now, what's in the next 30 minutes? Right. We'll reduce that to that's 29. Right. I got to at least be able to get 
I got to at least be able to get a pair of sneakers out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I know the phone lines are getting ready to blow up, bro. So, I mean, that's not going to be a problem. You see what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, we, we're moving up in subscribers, man. All these folks call in. You're going to be doing all right. Listen. <laughs> no, you got to worry about that, though. Yeah, you crazy, man. All right, so we again we appreciate oh, everybody tuning in. Um, hopefully, every you know what we talked about was helpful. Uh, again, uh, suicide prevention month uh, for the whole month of September. Again, uh, appreciate everybody watching, viewing, subscribing, commenting. Uh, we appreciate and love the feedback. The Black Psychologist uh, at gmail.com. Send us you know your thoughts, questions. Um, you know, we, we we love the feedback this coming Saturday. I'm not Saturday, Sunday. I keep saying Saturday, Sunday, October 3rd. We'll be down there um, at the art museum out of the darkness walk, um, raising awareness for suicide prevention. We'll be there. Um, we appreciate everybody coming through. Just come down, show love. And most of all, walk right. Not even, you know, coming to see us. Just it's a really good opportunity for people to bring awareness, to have those conversations um, about someone either they know, someone maybe they read about, you know, whatever the, the you know, your connection or six degrees of separation to um, someone that's unfortunately been the victim of, of suicide. So we'll be out there October 3rd. Come check us out. Um, other than that, Dr. J, always a pleasure, my friend. I'll see you next time, brother, or I'll see you on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? That's right. Sunday, All right, bro. bro. All right, bro. Have a good one.